village in the Middle East, he is now worshipped by over two billion people. But who was this man really? Is he actually God? Or has a mere human been elevated by myths and legends? This December, investigate for yourself the historical origins of Jesus. Investigating Jesus Origins at Stapleton Church. a good start. There we go. All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, glad to be here. My name is Grant Ryder. I'm our community pastor, and uh, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you this morning and continue into our second week of this new series that we started called Investigating Jesus, which you just saw that little promo about. And um, yeah, I'm excited to be here, excited to Open that up with you guys. If you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you, go back online, listen to that message. It was a really important message, really good message, but also really important uh, because Pastor Sawyer did a great job kind of laying the groundwork for the rest of the series that's going to follow in the book of Luke. And he taught us that we can have certainty in the gospel, that we can trust what's said in the Gospel of Luke, based on Luke's careful research, his investigation into the events that unfolded throughout the life of Jesus, um, and even the many, many eyewitness accounts that took place, um, all of that, we can trust that what Luke is saying here is true. So go back, listen to that. Um, it's a really good message and important to all that's going to follow. Um, and, and today we're going to con- kind of continue into the book of Luke, a little bit further, into the life of Jesus. Um, But before you do, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of something that uh, Marcia said a few minutes ago. But how many of you, especially those of you who have been here for a little bit, uh, how many of you have noticed the recent kind of baby boom that's taken place in our church as of late? Yeah, I I can testify to that. My wife just had a baby like a couple months ago, so we're in that same boat as well. And One of the reasons I'm up here today is because our lead pastor, Matt Wolf, and his wife, Melissa, just had twins um, just a little over a week ago. So you can be praying for them, um, but if you remember a few weeks or so ago, Matt kind of talked about the story behind those twins, and he shared how he believes that, you know, God has kind of done a miracle in their lives in giving them these two babies, and I would agree. Well, if you thought that that was something... I want to tell you a little story today about a couple of other births who many have said are quite extraordinary, um, miraculous, and even shocking. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1 today and follow Luke as he investigates the life of Jesus and kind of takes us back to the very beginning, where it all began. And that will be in Luke chapter 1. And so as our story begins today... We're going to jump right in, and we're introduced immediately to a couple of very important characters named Zechariah and Elizabeth. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5, if you have a Bible, other words, the words will be up here, but it says this to kind of get us going. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah 
who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So the first two characters of our story that we're introduced to today, they're they're pretty impressive, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth were a married couple from the nation of Israel who had, as we can see, devoted their lives to faithfully serving God. Not only were they both from or kind of descendants within the priestly line of Israel, but Zechariah was actually a priest, practicing priest who had been serving at the temple on a regular basis throughout his life. This was a highly respected couple, and as we can see, they had a pretty known reputation for being devout followers of God. But not everything in their lives was quite so perfect, was it? No, it says that they were both very old, and they were unable to have children. And in a society like Israel that highly valued children and viewed them as a blessing and as an inheritance and as that which brought honor to the parents, well, we can only imagine that this must have been a pretty difficult part of life for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Well, one evening, while Zechariah was on duty at the temple, everything in their lives was about to change. Because as our story kind of gets going this morning, Zechariah had been chosen to perform one of the most sacred tasks that a priest could perform. He'd been chosen to go into the holy place of the temple and offer incense to God. Now, that may not sound like a crazy huge deal to us here today, but this was such a sacred and special task that a priest would actually only perform this once in their entire life. This is a big deal. And I can only imagine the honor and and excitement that Zechariah must have felt as he finally got this opportunity to take up the incense and make his way into the temple. Well, as he did that, and as he began to kind of pour out the incense on the altar, something crazy happened. An angel of God suddenly appeared at the right side of the altar, and Zechariah, like most of us, (laughs) fell down and shook with fear at what was going to happen. And the angel speaks. And he says this in verse 13 to Zechariah. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is incredible news. And after so many years of wrestling I can only imagine what Zechariah was feeling and thinking as he heard these words. After so long, God was finally answering their prayers and giving them a son. But what's so much more is that this wasn't just any ordinary son, is it? No, amongst many other things, um, you can go to the next slide. Um, In verse 17, 
we saw that amongst all the other things the angel says, he says this about this child, that he will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, the angel is saying to Zechariah that God is coming to visit his people and John is going to prepare the way. John is going to be the prophet who tells the nation of Israel that the Messiah is here. This is huge. God's doing something incredibly massive at this point in history. And this child that he's blessing Zechariah and Elizabeth with is going to have an extremely important role in God's salvation plan for the world that's unfolding right now. Now you would think that this news would bring immediate rejoicing, excitement, celebration, right? Well, watch what happens in verse 18 as our story continues. Zechariah responds to this news and he says, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel responds immediately and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Despite the answer to so many years of prayer and wrestling, Zechariah doesn't believe. And ultimately, he asks for a sign. Really, what he's asking for is further proof that God would confirm that this is really true, that this is really actually happening. You see, it's so ironic that Zechariah asks this question and that he's actually asking for a sign when an angel of God is standing in front of him telling him this. You see, Zechariah had been praying faithfully, but ultimately didn't believe God was actually ever going to do anything. He had been going through the motions of religious activity, prayer, and priestly service, but after so long, he couldn't bring himself to believe that God would actually answer. And how many of us have been there? Maybe you're there today. You know, but before we shake our heads at Zechariah for his unbelief and his doubt, think about what he had gone through up to this point. Think about the countless moments of discouragement and and disappointment month after month over the course of decades as he and his wife Elizabeth found that they still had no answer. Perhaps his hopes had been raised so many times in the past and then dashed that he just couldn't bring himself to believe again. And I think after so long, most of us would probably also find it easy to stop holding out hope. And maybe you're here today and you can relate to Zechariah on some level of this experience. Maybe you're dealing with infertility. Maybe you're struggling with an illness or or a disease or um, some limitation in your life. Or maybe it's as simple as just a lack of direction in your life and you've been asking God for an answer but you feel like you just keep waiting. Or maybe you've been kind of going through the motions of Christianity without any real hope or expectation that God will actually intervene 
and desires to be present in your life. Or maybe, like Zechariah, God's voice is speaking in your life and he's calling you and pushing you to step out and trust him with something, but it just seems a little bit unrealistic, a little bit impossible. Well, Zechariah, I can't imagine how hard it must have been for him and his wife through these years. You know, but the bigger picture of this first story shows us that, you know, even though Zechariah may not have been able to see it, God was not unaware of their circumstances. But he chose to intervene at just the right time according to his purposes. You know, we may not understand why God chooses to act the way he does, or even in the timing that he does. But as Zechariah quickly found out, God is still sovereign. He's still in control of this world and the circumstances of our lives. And he promises to be faithful to his people. And Zechariah, I think, quickly found that out. You know, he was a faithful man who had been serving God for many, many years. But even Zechariah, in this very crucial moment, looked at his own fears, looked at his own inabilities and at what seemed impossible and he looked back at God and said, there's no way. And because of his unbelief, as we see in the angel's words, Zechariah is going to continue to experience silence, but to a much more tangible degree, as he's actually made what most believe is deaf and mute until these things come to fulfillment. And that's kind of where this first story ends. In verse 23 it says, that when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I love the way this first section of our story ends. Because even though we sometimes doubt, sometimes disbelieve, God is still gracious. And you know... Zechariah may not be able to enjoy the process or experience it the way he could have, but God didn't take away his promise. Elizabeth still becomes pregnant, and this promised child continues to develop as God had said. But God wasn't stopped there. He didn't stop there. The story's not done there. And though we will take a break from Zechariah and Elizabeth, our story continues, and it actually picks up six months later down the road with a complete shift in scene and setting and we go from here a male priest Zechariah in the temple of Jerusalem to a young virgin girl named Mary from a small no-name town called Nazareth and just like we saw in this story God sends his angel to Mary and here's what happens next we pick up the story in verse 28 It says this, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will, ha- will never end. After so many years of waiting, in fact, 
after thousands of years of prophecy and looking forward, what God had promised from the beginning was now becoming a reality. To a young virgin girl from the middle of nowhere, God was fulfilling his long-awaited promise that he would send the Messiah, the Savior who would rescue his people. It's hard, to, it's hard to catch this from a quick reading of the text, but I'm really convinced that this is the most stunning and incredible news that's ever been uttered in history up to this point. Because no longer is it being prophesied or announced that the Messiah is going to come someday. Gabriel is announcing that the time is now. The Messiah is here and his name is Jesus. This is huge. And I can only imagine what Mary's thinking. I imagine she was, had to have been shocked that she heard she's going to have a baby. Not to mention who Gabriel is describing that this child is actually going to be. And this is super important. And I think that the author, Luke, wants us to see this. Because it's very important to the overarching story of what God's doing here. And we're actually going to look more at this next week. But just to give you a glimpse, when he describes who this child is going to be... He makes five distinct claims about him. He says he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And why that's so important is because each of these statements are directly taken from Old Testament prophecies that described who this Messiah was going to be and what he was going to be like. And these were claims that would have been familiar to any Jewish person living in this time. There's no mistaking who this child is going to be. This child that Mary will carry is the long-awaited Savior. And Mary would have been able to recognize that very quickly. Now knowing that, can you imagine what was going on in her mind as she heard these words? Well, the next verse gives us a little insight into that. And just like Zechariah, she asks a question. And in verse 34 through 37, Mary says, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. See, Mary's question is actually quite reflective of where she is in this moment. And although it's kind of a subtle difference, her question is actually very different from what Zechariah asked in the previous story. You see, Zechariah was asking for further proof that what God was saying was actually true. Mary is asking how these things are going to happen. How will this happen? And I find it so interesting, these two stories, these two responses, because doesn't it seem like they should be reversed? I mean, Zechariah is a priest, right? He knows that God's done miracles before. He's married. And it wasn't unheard of for God to give a child to a couple who previously couldn't have children. Not to mention the fact that Zechariah and Mary are both from the priestly line of Israel. And you would think that if the Messiah was going to come through anyone, 
it would be someone like them. And yet here's Mary, this young virgin girl from the middle of nowhere who nobody would have known about that God shows his favor toward. And Mary, by natural means, it, it is impossible for her to be just become pregnant. And yet, she doesn't doubt that these things will happen. She just asks how. And Gabriel's response to that question is really revealing of who this child is going to be. Because he makes clear that this child won't come about by natural means. No, nothing is impossible with God. No word from God will fail. So that even though Mary is a virgin, God will still miraculously form this child and he will be called the Son of God. And that statement is really easy to pass over. But it's incredible because what Gabriel is saying here is that not only will this child be the Messiah, but that the Messiah will be the incarnation of God himself. That changes everything. It's one thing to be told that you're going to bear the Messiah. And maybe you would think that Mary would get married to Joseph. They'd have their firstborn son and that that child would rise up to be a ruler and maybe help overthrow the foreign governments that are oppressing Israel and set the people free, right? Something like that. But to be told that God is going to miraculously give you a child while you're a virgin, and that this child will be the Messiah, and that the Messiah will be God incarnate, well, I think that's probably where most of us would tap out and say, you know what, this is just a little too crazy for me. But watch how Mary responds to this. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant, and may your word to me be fulfilled. Honestly, I'm blown away every time I read this. Because I honestly believe that this is one of the most incredible demonstrations of faith in the entire Bible. You know, what to any one of us would have seemed like insanity and out of this world ridiculous, Mary essentially considers these things, looks at these things and says, I don't know what all this means, but I trust God to do what is good. That's amazing. Even though it is impossible by natural means, Mary chose to look through her fear, through her inabilities, and trust that God would be true to his word and faithful to her even though she couldn't see the outcome. That's really hard. It's really hard to trust God with something in our lives when we don't really know what the outcome is going to look like. I think as human beings, we love predictability. And oftentimes we organize our lives in such a way that there's minimal risk involved. You know, we always want to know what's coming. No unexpected change. But it seems to me that oftentimes we don't see God show up the way that He would because oftentimes we don't expect Him to. We don't seek Him as such. And that's not to say that stepping out in faith and trusting God is easy. In fact, most of the time it's hard. Most of the time, there's not a guarantee of what's going to happen. But as we look at examples like Zechariah and Mary, 
I'd encourage you to start thinking even today, where in your life do you need to step out and trust God? Where in your life might God be leading you or calling you to let go, to step out and trust Him, even though you may not be able to see the outcome? Mary chose to trust God, even with an uncertain future before her, because she believed that God would be true to His Word, that He would be good and faithful to her. And as she kind of lived into that, her excitement grew. And we kind of see this over the next series of verses. Like any of us do, when we, have, when we get good news, we want to go tell someone, right? Well, that's what Mary does. She heard what the angel said about her, her relative Elizabeth, and so she packs up her things and she goes to uh, Judea, another location where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived, and she goes to meet her there. And there's kind of this incredible exchange that happens between her and Elizabeth, Basically, what happens is when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the child in her womb leaps for joy. And Elizabeth becomes overcome with joy in the Holy Spirit, and she kind of announces and and proclaims this blessing over Mary. And in verse 45, she says this, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And that kind of captures the essence of where Mary is at in this process. And we'll look a little bit more at Mary's response to all this next week. But it's really at this point in the story, in the the larger narrative of what's going on, that these two stories that we've looked at so far converge. Zechariah, or sorry, Elizabeth, is Zechariah's wife, and, and her and Mary kind of exchange this greeting. And Mary ultimately, like we see here, is kind of celebrated for her faith. But you know who's not mentioned here? is Zechariah. Where is Zechariah in all of this? Nothing is really said of Zechariah's experience. But nine months of not being able to hear or speak is a long time. What do you think was going on in his life during those months? I don't really know. Nothing's really said but I think it's easy to kind of view this period in his life as, as only negative. As if, you know, God's heavy hand of discipline is on Zechariah. Now don't get me wrong, I think that Zechariah's silence is definitely tied to consequence for his unbelief. But I also think that God was being very gracious to Zechariah. And although he was kind of hidden from the world and maybe even our story today, I think that he was being seen by God. And God was shaping his life through this period and giving him the opportunity to listen and to learn a little bit more of who God is and what it looks like to trust him. I think that Zechariah experienced a different kind of fellowship with God as he witnessed God's grace in his own life, but as he saw God fulfilling his promises around him. John was still coming along And he had caught wind by now with the visitation of Mary that the Messiah was here too. And I can only imagine that as those days grew closer to John being born, that Zechariah's excitement grew as he thought about being released from this silence and being able to hear those cries of his baby boy and being able to tell him that he loved him. And I can only imagine, you know, the angel had said that these things... He'll be silent until these things come to fulfillment. 
And so as that day grew closer, imagine his expectation only grew more intense until it finally did arrive. And that's where our story kind of picks up. In verse 57, <clears throat> it says this, that when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Now wait a second. It's been eight days since John was born. If you remember back in our first story, the angel had said that when these things happen, Zechariah won't be deaf and mute anymore. And yet a whole week after John's birth, Zechariah's in the same place. Is God being unfaithful? Think about Zechariah. Think of how confusing that might have been. To see his child and the fulfillment of God's promise and yet he's still in the same place. What's going on here? Well, as this dilemma of naming the child arises, I think that God was giving Zechariah an opportunity on what he missed the first time around. The opportunity to live into the fact that God is worthy of our trust even if we don't know how it's going to work out. Do I trust God and obey His instruction to name this child like He said and trust He will be faithful? Or do I listen to the voices around me that say there's a better way? And it's kind of in this high moment of tension in our story that it concludes in saying this. The next verses say this. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. I can only imagine that that week was pretty confusing for Zechariah. And his future may have seemed a little bit uncertain at that point. But even in the face of that tension, Zechariah chose to trust God and obey that what he said was best. And as we've seen all throughout this story, God was faithful to his word. As Zechariah's ears were opened to the sound of familiar voices, and his mouth, as we see, was opened and he broke forth in praise to God. This is an incredible story. And we could sit in this for a long time and just you know, kind of look at the details of this. And we're going to look a little bit more at the larger framework of this story next week. But as we kind of examine the experiences of Zechariah and Mary and see these things through their lens, I think that there's one big idea that kind of continues to jump out throughout this story, and it's this. God can always be trusted. God can always be trusted. The circumstances between Zechariah and Mary were different, and the situations varied, but one thing was consistent in all. God remained true to His Word. Zechariah may have started in unbelief, but he ends up praising God for his faithfulness and rejoicing in the fact that he is trustworthy. 
And Mary, who had an uncertain road before her, a hard road before her, and ultimately probably couldn't see how all this was going to work out, she chose to trust God. And in the face of circumstances that would change, Mary experienced God's faithfulness and got to see that God is worthy of being trusted all the time. God can always be trusted. That's why the great Christian thinker, A.W. Tozer, says this about this element of God's character. He says, Upon God's faithfulness rests our whole hope of future blessedness. Only as He is faithful will His covenant stand and His promises be honored. The tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged may all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is faithful. He will ever be true to His pledged word. God can always be trusted. And you may not be here today and and you've experienced the same thing as Zechariah or Mary, but maybe God's word is speaking a similar word to you today. Maybe you have been in a period of your life um, that's been anything but settled. Maybe you've experienced transition recently. Maybe you've had unfortunate or unplanned changes happen in your life. Maybe you're going through a period of brokenness or you're in a season of waiting and you're not sure how everything's going to work out. God's Word invites each of us to entrust our lives and our circumstances to the God who doesn't change, to the God who is consistent through and through, who's not surprised and will always be faithful to His people. So I'll invite the band to kind of come forward as we close out. But if you're here today, you might be in a place where you know that God is calling you and leading you to step out in faith with someone or something or a decision or a situation in your life and you feel Him pulling at your heart to trust Him, to let go. I challenge you with the question, can you trust that the God who broke into history for the salvation of mankind cares enough to meet you in whatever that situation or circumstance may be? And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, God's Word invites you also to trust Him. Because even though each and every one of us have been unfaithful to God and to others, God invites each and every one of us, through His Son Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to Him today. And that is good news. That is what this story is all about. And if you want to talk more about this and you need prayer in your life for maybe one of these areas that you feel God is leading you to trust Him more in, I invite you to the back where I'll be there, other members of our prayer team and elders will be there as well. Uh, But would you pray with me as we close today? Lord God, we rejoice in the fact that You are ever faithful, that You are a trustworthy God and that no matter what circumstances come into our lives, or how our lives may change, or surprises that may come, Lord, you are worthy of our trust. And you will be faithful to your people regardless. We thank you for this season, and we get to celebrate this incredible news in which Jesus has come. Our Savior has come, and he's brought salvation. And we thank you for that gift today, and we rejoice in you, and we pray that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.